Just imagine. The New Testament disciples were perfect individuals. When Jesus preached to them, they received it gladly and they began to do the things that he was telling them. When he explained complicated situations, they caught it right away. And they were model disciples. And as we would read the New Testament about these perfect disciples, most of us would be saying, I don't think so. The thing that we appreciate about the disciples is that they are like us, or we are like them. When Peter gets angry, I say, yeah, that could be me. When uh, Thomas doubts and questions, I would say, oh yes, that would be me. When someone else compares themselves to others and says, well, which of us is greatest? Well, I confess that that could be me. I probably wouldn't say it out loud, but in my heart, I'd be thinking it. There were some things that Jesus told his disciples that they simply weren't ready for. And I find myself doing that throughout my life as well. So, some of it is about age. I remember there's one of the professors at seminary years ago that said, you know, the Bible is pretty much an adult book. Children who are seven, eight, nine, they get some of it, but a lot of the themes and the stories and the illustrations and the messages, they're just not ready for yet. Some of it's about maturity or experience. We can be the right age, but we just haven't had the maturity yet. We need to continue to grow. And some of it, we're just not receptive yet. So Jesus' followers were presented with far more than they could, could ever absorb in those three years that they were with Jesus. And then, even after all that, Jesus said, and by the way, I'm leaving. And they said, you're what? He said, well, I'm leaving. Well, where are you going? And he tried to tell them. He told them they didn't like it. He explained why, and they still didn't like it. And he said he'd return, and they still weren't ready. And he said they'd send, he'd send the Spirit, and they'd say, they said, oh, we'd rather have you, and so on, and so on. You know, Henry Nouwen, a uh, Catholic priest and author, spiritual director, he said that there's something very special when we're present with people. Our presence can make a big difference. As chaplains uh, in the city, we call it the ministry of presence. I remember one of the first times I actually experienced what this could be like. Uh, I was a pastor at the time in my first uh, associate pastorate. And I got a call at five o'clock in the afternoon. And on the other end of the, the line was a, a sergeant from Hopkins, Minnesota. And he said, hi, is this Mark Patrick? I said, yes. He said, do you know so-and-so? I said, well, yes, I do. They're members of our church. He said, well, they would like you to come. Their three-year-old son just died. And I almost said out loud, to do what? I, I felt so in shock myself 
You know, what, what does one say? Well, I made my way over to Hopkins from Minnetonka, where we lived at the time, showed up at the house, talked with one of the officers, and then he said, oh, and the couple is right around the corner. They're ready to talk with you. So here was a time when I put to practice the things that I had learned in seminary. You do learn some things in seminary. And uh, they, they would say things like, look, you don't have to say anything. The best thing to do is just to be present, to be with them. So I didn't come with an answer. I, I turned around, there they were, they looked at me, and I just went, and we embraced and cried. It seemed like a long time. It was probably only a minute or so. And then I just said, I'm so sorry. 25 years later, the husband said, Mark, I remember when you came. When Charles died. And I remember that you didn't say anything at first. But you were just there for us. He said that was exactly the right thing to say. So we often don't have answers. But we do have simply our presence with an awareness that God speaks to us and eventually it will speak through us, but often it speaks through us without words, just by being there, as they say, by showing up. The police officers in Burnsville have told us often through the years that, uh, you know, things go better, whether it's a death scene or a death notification or whatever the particular crisis is. It just goes better when, when a chaplain walks in the door. Then the chaplain can give the family or whoever it is uh, their attention. They can listen. They can care. And we can breathe a little easier and go about doing the things that we need to do in that situation. Well, Henry Nouwen says it's really special to be there, to be present, but it's also there's something special about when we leave. That when we leave, we're not abandoning people, but we, we simply leave. And, and they're left with their memories, their receptivity may change, their reflection, their understanding may grow. And uh, staying isn't always the most helpful or the best. We give a person space to think, to pray, reflect, and grow. So when Jesus said he was leaving, uh, he was basically saying, as I leave, I will send the Spirit, and the Spirit will be present with you. The Spirit can bring a kind of calmness that we absolutely need when we're restless. The Spirit can bring a courage to face things that are fearful. The Spirit can bring compassion that can grow and develop instead of our anger. The Spirit can remind you of things that I've said to you and bring hope in anxious situations. The Spirit can bring healing when we're hurting and the Spirit can bring comfort in our grief. Not all at once, it's not all or nothing, but it can grow and develop as the time goes by. All of these are the kinds of things that the Spirit 
can bring. The Apostle Paul said to, in his letter to the Philippian church, he said, God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I think that's the work of the Spirit. It takes time. It's not a quick, automatic action, but it's a process that's not legalistic, but it's warm, it's supportive, and it brings out the best in us as the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Beyond that, Jesus said, you know, I have much more to say, uh, but not right now. I've already given you more than you can absorb. The Spirit will remind you of the things that I've said to you and help you understand them. And the Spirit will guide you into all truth to help you believe and help you act on the things that you can count on. So we wonder, all right, the Spirit of truth is going to guide us into all truth. Well, what is truth? You remember Pilate when Jesus was talking to him. Uh, Jesus mentioned the concept of truth and Pilate in a snarky way said, oh yeah, well what is truth? That was his question. And that's a question we're asking today more than ever. What is actually truth? It's not the weird truth that uh, some talk about today. You remember Chuck Todd a few years ago uh, he's the anchor of Meet the Press, and he interviews all kinds of people. Well, he, he was talking with one political operative one, one morning, and at one point in their argument, their debate, he said, but these are the facts. These are the facts. And she responded, and I have alternate facts. <laughs> First time I've seen him speechless. Facts, what, different facts. Well, which ones are the facts? and so on. He was speechless, but he persisted. That viewpoint has persisted ever, ever since then. Uh, when, when I was a kid in, in middle school, there was this little stationary store that had all kinds of trinkets and so on, and I'd, I'd wander in there from time to time. Well, they had this one button, I actually bought it. And the button had this little kid on it. He said, my mind is made up. Don't confuse me with facts. I thought that was pretty funny at the time. It's not funny anymore because it's what so many people are actually saying. So Jesus said that he was the truth, that the spirit would both remind us and then guide us into deeper truth along the way. But the, the reality is the truth, as Jesus talks about here, isn't this divisive ideology that we focus on so often today. Rather, it's the basis of our faith. It's the basis of our hope. It's the basis of the love that we can experience together. <clears throat> there was a university chaplain, Eric Germain, who, who said, offered five truths from scripture that uh, never fade. Doesn't matter our current circumstances. I love these because I resonate with each one of them. The first truth he said is that we are never alone. We are never alone. We talk about the presence of the Spirit. That can be accessed at any point in time. I often access that at four in the morning when I'm awake for one reason or another. You take a deep breath and you relax and you say, Holy Spirit, I know you're here. I may not even feel you yet, but I do believe you're here. So help me to think of the things that are going to be helpful. 
help me with my anxieties, my depression, my fear, my, you know, whatever it is that I might be focusing on and help me to move forward with the awareness that you are present with me. Secondly, God, God's character remains constant. God is faithful. God doesn't change. God is there for us and will be there for us all along the way. His character remains constant. Thirdly, God's grace is sufficient. Now this is the one that's tested regularly for us. Uh, the situations we face, the changes we go through, the transitions that we may not have chosen. God's grace is there, it's sufficient. He is able to give me strength, whatever I'm facing, whatever changes are going on around me. The fourth truth is that we're commanded to love. We, uh, we live in community. We're not solo in our faith. We can talk to God solo. We can talk to God individually, of course. And he cares about each of us. But in the long run, he cares about us together. We are a community of faith, not just a cluster of individuals. God wants to build community in us and through us. And then fifthly, God is making all things new. In other words, there is hope in Christ. We may not be able to see it. We may not be able to believe it yet. But God can make all things new. Each of these truths then is consistently challenged. We could feel alone. We could seem like God changes. We could feel like we have nothing left. We could feel that it's so hard to love other people. And they might feel that way toward us as well. We are an imperfect community, and we always will be. So we continually stand in need of God's grace. And then life can feel hopeless, but, uh, but it's not. And we can be renewed in our hope, renewed in our faith, renewed in our love, day by day, season by season in life. Well, last week was Mother's Day, but I'd like to think of this week as Mother's Week. And uh, I have a couple things I'd like to read for you. It's from, it's from a book called Listening to the Littlest by Ruth Reardon. And uh, this, this takes the perspective that a young child is talking with his or her parent about life and about what they need. So it's from a child's perspective, something we need. First, the child says, accept me. Accept me for what I am, not what I could have been or even will be. Accept me. Acceptance must be present tense with no conditions and based on reality. If windows of your heart may, must rosy tinted be, you have not accepted me. See me as I am without distortion of your dreams. A human being, beautiful, unique, free to grow according to the seed within myself. Accept me so I need not twist myself to fit your pattern, but resting in acceptance can grow. We have all different examples of people that needed acceptance at one point in their life in order to thrive. 
You know, Jimmy Fallon is this uh, comedian, and he interviews all kinds of people. Well, a while back, he was interviewing, of all people, the entertainer Shakira. And he was talking to her about her music teacher when she was in high school, said she couldn't be in the choir anymore. Her voice was too unique. So she didn't fit in. She was talking to her parents about it, and they said, don't you dare change who you are, what you have to offer, the sound of your voice for anyone else. Well, she didn't. It's worked out pretty well for her. I, I've sometimes wondered what that music uh, teacher thinks uh, these days. <clears throat> God's spirit wants to bring out the best in us as unique individuals, but then being part of a community. And then the young child says, create a quilt of memories to keep me warm, an inner warmth that comes from light of happy times, weaving the threads of holidays of friends and families, delights of seashore, fields of city parks, the simplest happenings traced out in love become a pattern for my quilt of memories. We were with a couple of our grandchildren last night and I was telling stories Stories of things that had happened with my sister and I when we were younger, and I won't tell you them now, but uh, telling them with great gusto, and they were enjoying them a great deal. But uh, creating this quilt of memories of our own stories and of times that we spent together. My mother was a single mom. She had almost no money, but we didn't think about that much because we had memories that we shared. It was swimming at Thomas Beach down by Lake Calhoun, we called it at the time. Uh, or it was going to fireworks over in Powderhorn Park on 4th of July. Now we'd take a bus from our house on France Avenue over to South Minneapolis where Powderhorn Park was. And then we'd come back at 11 o'clock at night on another bus. This was a single mom with two children who were challenging, I guess is the word I'd use. I won't even tell you what my aunt told me years later, but uh, creating memories. They don't have to cost money. It's just time spent, attention given. And that's what we create in our community of faith. Wednesday night was a prime example of that. We had a great time in our uh, talent show. And there was one young, young girl who uh, at the end of the talent show, the, the students who were leading it said, anyone else want to come up and share a talent? Well, this young woman marched up and her parents were surprised. Like, what are you doing? You're, you're a shy, introverted young girl, but since you've been around here the last few months, you've kind of come out. And she marched up and played her song and uh, people applauded and she went back feeling very good about being there that night. Well, that's the development of community. People who, young children who feel like we own the place because we are so accepted. Senior adults who say, well, this is our place as well. And we're all together. I, I looked around the room. There were people much older than I and people a whole lot younger than I and families. And it was, they were laughing and applauding and enjoying one another. So quilt of memories. We don't always do it right. Sometimes we have regrets. And here the young child says, well, good night, mother. It's okay. 
You didn't win a prize for motherhood today, but it's okay. <laughs> you haven't ruined my development by one bad day. I want a human mother, not, not a model one. Oh, you sure were angry at the world. I learned a few new words. I, I won't repeat. Don't worry, mother, I felt your kiss. There's always a tomorrow. Forgiving and forgetting are easy when I know that I'm loved. I have a friend on Facebook who often signs off her post as perfectly imperfect. Well, that's us. We will never arrive, whether it's leaders in the church or participants or parents or whoever it is, these, these truths about parenting are true of us in the church as well. And then finally, one more. This young child says, let me know there's someone always listening, always caring, stronger and more loving than even you. Enlarge my vision to include more than my eyes can see, to reach out for eternity. Tell me of God. Teach me of one who listens and listens perfectly. Amen.